Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Young Me Mayor. And I'm Brian Park. And we have an amazing, amazing episode this week, Young Me. I'm very excited about it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a popular one, is my guess. Oh, yeah. And this episode's a little spicy because it's after hours right now. This yeah. is Feeling Asian after hours. We ne- have never recorded this late. I've never been in Brian's apartment this late. <laughs> and then I came in and I was like, my stomach kind of hurts. And Brian's like, you're going to give me COVID again. <laughs> and I might be I might be spiraling a little because I feel like my stomach hurts a little. And I'm like, if this is COVID. Okay, listeners, uh, I asked Yangmi how she was feeling right before I clicked the record button. And she said, I'm feeling great. So this is all news to me, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, before we, you know, jump into this episode, let's do our Patreon shout outs really quickly, Yangmi. Okay. Yeah, listener. So if you like the podcast, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash feeling Asian. Uh, we offer different subscription tiers, but any donation amount gets you a shout out on the podcast where young me and I give you a positive affirmation. Yes. Well, without further ado, our first shout out for this episode goes out to Eunice Huangbo. Eunice knows how to ski. You, you you heard her. You know how to ski, Eunice. Thank you for the donation. Our second shout out goes out to Mia Kim. Mia, you weren't the best in gymnastics, but you were still amazing. I swear to God, Brian has started to do this where he his affirmations are like, you're not good at something, but you it's oh, it's okay. I don't think that's an off affirmation, but... I'm trying to... Uh, spice it up? Uh, no, I'm trying to affirm their... their content of character not the results yeah you're not about like pure talent you're saying that they try hard and achieve something right and and ultimately yeah yeah, it's it's not about the result it's about the friends you made along the way okay (laughs) 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 our next shout out goes out to thomas murray i'm gonna do like a brian you're you don't have any friends but everyone really likes you it's because they're too intimidated by you because you're too cool for everybody that's me being brian um cindy lamb you're so hot. <laughs> that's, that's it. What else? Is, there's nothing else that's important. In this world. <laughs> our, <laughs> right? next, our next shout out goes out to Brandon. Brandon is can eat really spicy hot pot and he knows what to order at hot pot. I don't even know if that's an affirmation, but everyone wants to go eat hot pot with Brandon. Tim A. Lou, you're a doctor and your parents are very proud of you. That's the most Asian affirmation that you can ever get. <laughs> it's just... Uh, next shout out goes out to Jana. Jana's a rebel, Dottie. I like that one. <laughs> You're a rebel, Dottie. <laughs> That's a Pee Wee Herman reference. Uh, next shout out goes out. To, oh. That's a I'm old. Yeah, that's not Gen Z material uh-huh. right there. We lost Pee some followers Herman. on that. Lost some <laughs> listeners on that one. <laughs> Imagine going up to someone in Gen who's Gen Z and asking if they know Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> so funny. Um next shout out goes out to Mona Wang. Mona, you are so intelligent and all of your cousins are so jealous of you. Specifically cousins, (laughs) not your siblings. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, a a special one for next shout out. Jennifer Jensen. Jennifer Jensen. We know her. Jennifer Jensen is, this is what I'm going to say. Jennifer Jensen, everything that she's ever wanted, she's gone out and gotten it opposite of imposter syndrome i don't understand what imposter and you bring syndrome. great energy into the feeling asian zoom happy hours vibes are vibes immaculate. are immaculate last shout out goes out to max chung 
Max is just a hot name. You know Max is hot. Come on. You you go out with your boys, and without fail, you're the one who uh, makes sure that all your boys are having a good time because all the girls want to hang out with you. Alpha male. <laughs> is that? No, that's toxic. Big I'm alpha not, male energy. <laughs> I think it's that's toxic, toxic and I mean it. You're big alpha male <laughs> <Right>. energy. <laughs> uh, we mean big alpha male energy in the most p- toxic way possible. <laughs> <laughs> all right that since we ruined everyone's lives let's let's introduce our guest okay so well before we do uh <laughs> listeners we're doing this episode is going to be a little bit different um you know we in the past we did this big asian therapist roundup episode yeah uh where we sort of dove into uh some of the you know insights of what it's like being an asian therapist and uh, what are the, some of the challenges that come with that? Yeah, and uh, listeners like the feedback was amazing. So thank you so much for tuning into that episode. Yeah, and also because it is so hard to find Asian therapists. Um, I think our guest said last time. Please correct me when you come on, but the statistic is very low. It's like something like eleven percent are Asian in the field. Eleven percent is very specific. Let's hope that I hope you're that right. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, so we we fielded so, we fielded this question to our listeners. If you, since so many of you are Asian and don't have an Asian therapist, what would you ask an Asian therapist if you had one? And we received so many submissions from our listeners, and that's why we have brought on some of uh, the listener favorites from the therapist roundup episode. Listeners, please give a warm welcome to doctors Peter Adams and Melissa Yao of Buckeye Psychology. <laughs> Hi. Hey. Hi. We're back for the after hours version. (laughs) After hours. We're getting sensual. (laughs) At night. This is either water or or vodka. I'm a little disappointed that you're not drinking cocktails. (laughs) We thought about it. We saw I saw you drinking boba. We were drinking boba, but then we thought it might not be so good to be chewing on something while we were recording this podcast yeah do they do <laughs> do they do alcoholic ASMR boba? vibes is that a thing huh? do they do alcoholic bubble tea is that a thing? oh absolutely i've had an alcoholic boba cocktail once it was amazing it sounds good Three thousand calories <laughs> it was worth it it's just like kalua Wait, but- it's like half kalua yeah, add yeah, some cool, so add milk, whole <laughs> heavy cream yes. in there. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Wait, so we wanted you to have you on, and I we we wanted to format it this way because Brian and I do this podcast, and we talk about our feelings a lot, and um, yeah. we always like say on the podcast like we don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, and yeah. so we we thought it'd be funny if we we answered we got questions from our listeners, and then we answered them as dumbasses. And I then, like to use the term armchair psychologists, but we can go with dumbasses. Armchair too. dumbasses. <laughs> And then, and then we got your professional sort of answers. Does that does that sound good to you? AKA exercise that PhD. You are both docs or doctors. Professional sort of answers. Apply some pressure on us. Yeah. Flex in front of us. It sounds like a perfect perfect <laughs> plan. It's gonna be you humiliating us this entire episode. Does it's that just, sound fun to anybody? And then we'll is, uh, process how that feels for you and what comes up when we totally destroy your answers. Right. Okay. Yes, I am down. When, I am down. This, what if we enjoy it? <laughs> this is a very, ho- it's a very holistic uh, 
we're gonna get a lot of holistic information from from different sources yeah, today. Um, but before we dive into these wonderful submissions, uh, we wanted to ask you, how are you feeling? We're not. We're going to step outside. We're not going to answer how are we feeling uh, this episode. Because for the sake of time, we want to get to all these wonderful submissions. So if you want to know how young me and I are doing, you got to check us out on Patreon behind that paywall. Yeah. But anyhow, <laughs> Melissa and Peter, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? You want the like, you know, the the real shit? The, give right? us the real shit. Always, always. <laughs> always the real shit. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling excited about being on the podcast again. I'm feeling a little bit nervous. I think when we were, you know, talking about this and thinking about coming on, uh, definitely my impo- my imposter syndrome was kicking in of like, oh, mm. like I'm not qualified to answer questions or be interviewed. But then, you know, Tona and I were, you know, talking about just some of our experiences and um then I felt like, yeah, we can we can do this. So I'm excited. Well, you shouldn't feel like that because being Brian and I are way far less qualified. <laughs> and, like and we've been doing this for over a hundred episodes. Every week we're like, here we are again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you, Peter? How are you feeling? I'm glad you're feeling excited. <laughs> I'm also excited. I'm um, I'm a little raw today. If that's if I'm being honest, uh, we have a wonderful 14 month old named Simone Soun, and she's a terrible sleeper. Oh. And Wednesday and Thursday are my days to get up with her, and those happen to also be work days where I see a bunch of people. And she got me up at 4:40 on Wednesday, and oh, then 4:45 on. Thursday, and on my oh. sleeping day today, she was making a bunch of noise at, <laughs> during that time, and so I was not sleeping well either. So it's kind of coming in today, um, you know, kind of not on not not the most rested, and <laughs> having read so, these, so so Peter feels like shit. <laughs> yeah, I feel like shit. <laughs> Which is why we didn't, I didn't do the cocktail, or it would have been the the sleepy time podcast. Yeah. And the Sleepy Time podcast isn't what we were going for. But also reading these questions, <laughs> a combination of reading these questions and being quite tired, um, had me feeling a little bit emotional at points. Uh, mm. Just to know that you had such an exuberant response and that mm-hmm. um, so many people would take your invitation to uh, kind of put a question out there and um, just none of these people know each other, I, I don't think, on some of the questions you pulled. And yet, um, there's all these threads that connect and commonalities, and there's mm. a lot yeah. of reference to, and as people will see as we get into it, you know, a lot of reference to uh, trauma and, and family and identity. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, you and know, these are definitely issues that we see among our clients. Um, you right. know, we have lots of folks, I, I was telling Tone. I think last night when you're talking about this, like right now, 60% of my caseload is Asian or Asian American, which for this oh, area wow. is really significant. And so the questions that you pulled really reflect like a lot of the issues that I'm seeing, like 
in my yeah in therapy i mean i i have to say that we get such a big response from even the last episode that you did it, it had a huge like response and mm-hmm. for me doing this it, it makes me feel like it, it does make me feel like we're like sort of like soothing a need like filling a need you know what I mean and it just like it's so unfortunate that I think so many Asian people would just go to therapy if they if they knew that there were more Asian therapists but unfortunately at this moment it's you know was that statistic correct the 11% didn't you say that it's right around that for therapists like there are a little bit more psychologists that might have been the statistic for Mm -hmm. uh, but then they're like psychologists who practice therapy that's it's an even lower number right wow yeah so there's definitely like a huge need and i'm like so you know obviously thankful that you you've come back to the podcast because people you know really enjoy listening to both of you so well that's nice and yeah and again like that connection you brought in about people listen this is meaningful i think that's kind of where some of my rawness comes in today is seeing these questions knowing that uh, of course, um, we want to instill like uh, some lightness and uh, yeah. joy and humor into this time together. And yet at the same time, the people are being very kind of personal and raw very and vulnerable and like yeah. questions they shared. And the fact that people will listen and we may mm-hmm. contribute to um, supporting people or getting them to consider therapy Someone may reach out to us and talk about how they get connected with someone or referrals. And so there's just something, I don't know, it feels a little emotional. We do this work every day on a one-on-one level, but this is kind of a different format and it feels powerful in a different way. So, Like the scale of it, right? Yeah, I feel like that's like very moving. For our listeners out there, uh, first and foremost, we want to say thank you for, you know, putting yourself out there, being so vulnerable and sharing your stories. And unfortunately, we just received too many submissions. So if we We didn't get to yours, rest assured, this is a series that we would like to continue. So um, also, I just want to point out that we chose the questions that we were seeing a lot of like. Yeah. So we, you know, like we We have bucketed them into categories. Yeah. And and uh, a lot of these questions, we saw a common theme and thread through a lot of these. And a quick, if uh, I may, real quick, just a quick kind of. I don't know if a disclaimer is quite the right word, but, Uh um, you know, I think it is probably important to make sure people are aware that as we kind of have this conversation today, that this isn't actually therapy. Yes. And whether we're talking about the armchair psychologist version or the actual psychologist version, it's not actually therapy. And we're we're kind of more responding um, from a place of like maybe kind of how we're what reacting kind of to the questions mm-hmm. and just yeah. kind of some of our, our, our maybe general thoughts um, about what they're referencing. And so, you know, that's a little right. bit different than. Um, no, absolutely. I'm so. really glad you said that. I so think this, it's yeah. really important to stress that. And that if you're, this is yeah, not this a substitute for like. therapy. <laughs> this isn't a therapy. Also, young man, I think we should also give a disclaimer that our don't dumbass don't do armchair psychology <laughs> <Yeah>. is not <laughs> therapy. <laughs> Don't. Don't listen. <laughs> Just like block out the parts where we Just talk. Just click on skip the to t- skip Peter. 10 seconds until Peter and Melissa speak. <laughs> All right. We're going to let's start with the let's start with the questions. Yeah. So uh, the first general bucket or category we received was we're going to start broad therapy in general. 
And a listener submitted, when do you know you need therapy? What if I don't think I need it, but I want it? So I guess we should answer that first. Uh, yes, young me, Just you so can be my guest. Go right ahead. Really? Okay. So I, this is my, this was my journey. This is how I knew that I needed therapy. Um, I would talk about like the same thing over and over and over again mm. with my friends mm. and some like things that would make me really angry or sad especially angry and sad and i would just like offload over and over and like obsessively like ask my friends about the same shit every mm. day and then i think one of my close friends was like have you thought of like going to therapy and i didn't un understand why she said it but then after going to therapy i realized it's because like that's the kind of shit that i would tell my therapist mm. right and then my therapist would help me resolve that Mm -hmm. so that I could resolve my emotions around that and I wouldn't have to like go say the same story over and over to my friends who are just being my friends and listening to my story but obviously they couldn't help me like recover from it do you know what I mean yeah, like a therapist yeah. could mm -hmm. so that's like why I personally started there and that's I didn't even know I needed it I didn't even know that that's what it was gonna right. that's the itch it was gonna scratch mm -hmm. to be honest right but when once when I started I was like oh this is what therapy is how about you Brian Okay, so I feel that if you are someone, if you're someone who's asking yourself this already, uh -huh. that is an indication that you're interested in seeing a therapist. And I believe that, again, there's a lot of factors that might prevent you from doing it. There's cultural considerations, there's socioeconomic considerations. But yeah. if you have the means, I think it is an incredibly healthy resource to pursue mm -hmm. because there is a va after having gone to therapy myself, I find that there is an inherent value in seeing a third party professional who can just you can have that space for catharsis and mm -hmm. have like a third opinion on things. Right. And similar to you, uh, I, personally i just felt like there was like a cycle of behavior that i found myself engaging mm -hmm. with yeah and yeah. um but you know i i didn't want to admit that i needed to see a therapist because of like cultural stigma right but the fa it wasn't until i started questioning it like maybe i do what is therapy maybe i do want to see it i think that's already a sign like things there shouldn't be so much friction. I feel like things are self-evident. So if you're someone who's like ever thought mm. about it before, yeah. I think you should, that's a sign that maybe you, you already know yourself that it's something you want to pursue. Yeah. And also you can go and maybe you don't think it's right for you. We did get a message from somebody saying that it was too difficult. Like it was right. too painful and yeah. then she had to stop, which mm -hmm. is totally valid. Right. Um, okay. So how do we do? <laughs> no, just give <laughs> I was gonna, you know, you're wrong. <laughs> There's that inherent self, there's that inherent self-effacement that can come with Asian, Asian American people. And so I did, was having a reaction earlier about don't listen to us at all. Like, in fact, more Asians talking to other Asians or sharing with other Asians their perspectives on mental health is mm -hmm. such an untapped resource. I mean, mm. even a lot of the Asian Americans we see, um, it's not wide open for them, right? It's like pretty private. Mm -hmm. It's it's pretty mm. contained, and and so that's not to say uh, we, you know, you, you all aren't going to have all the answers, but um, there's a lot people can get from your own experiences uh, in therapy and and thinking, uh, investing in your own 
uh, emotional health, you know? Mm. Sorry to throw that in there. (laughs) (laughs) I can respond. Well, I don't know. I think that like, like Brian was saying, if you're asking yourself this question, like maybe it's time, like maybe there's something in you. There's some like discontent you're experiencing or like young me was saying, like some pattern that you're noticing that you Mm -hmm. want to explore further. And I think there's this misconception sometimes that you only go to therapy if you're like in crisis or if you're experiencing like significant, like severe mental Mm -hmm. health issues. And that's really not the reality. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. people come to therapy when like, you know, they're feeling they're functioning, you know, maybe they're doing well in their job. They have a relationship, but just something feels a little bit off. They're not getting, you know, maybe like the sense of like enjoyment from their life that they are hoping for, or maybe Mm. there is, you know, something from their past that they're wanting to explore and look at how that's connected Mm. to their current behavior. And, you know, again, there, there might not be this like dysfunction, but they're wanting Mm. to like kind of like optimize their lives. And so that is, you know, definitely something that therapy can offer as well. And I think it's important, like for you to talk about your experiences in therapy and, you know, even for us to talk about what therapy can look like, because it can, you know, it can be different things. It can be offering perspectives. It can be offering feedback. It can be like processing the relationship um, or, you know, processing the past, just depending on what folks need and what they're looking for. Right. That's a good point. Also, I feel like what I didn't even know some of the feelings that I had in my life. I even had those feelings until I went to therapy and mm-hmm. then I resolved some of them. I was like, oh, I thought I was going to feel like shit and depressed my entire life. I didn't know that mm. I could like get out of that. Yeah. You, know, you don't know until you like sort of recover from that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you can both reveal feelings or insights you weren't aware of. But there's also the piece, too, that I'd add where uh, you may be having certain reactions to things. And you, you just, you may have no clue where that's coming from. Like, but it's something you've mm-hmm. noticed. Like, how come I always go into the tank emotionally when in this sort of situation? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, why do I always react in this way? I, I, I genuinely do not know what's going on there. They're like, I don't have any sense of connection to, to, to why mm-hmm. that's happening. And, and, um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, that's another thing in patterns. That's something that I heard from y'all was just this idea of being yeah. curious about certain patterns mm-hmm. you may observe in yourself. Yeah. You gave examples of that. The only other one I'd add would be sometimes those are interpersonal patterns where you're getting various forms of feedback from people in your life that they seem to react to you a certain way or they're mm-hmm. experiencing you in this mm-hmm. kind of way kind of a lot. Um So sometimes people come in and they'll say, I've been getting X and Y feedback a lot from Mm -hmm. different people in my life. And it seems like something I need to look at or examine. Yeah, no, that's a a good one. I feel like that would resonate with a lot of Asian people because I feel like this might be a broad generalization, but you're kind of taught to sort of like read everyone else's like response to you you know what i mean instead of like knowing what you want personally that's something that i got a lot and what compelled me to explore it like people would tell me that i like would overthink or worry too much Mm. and it wasn't congruent to the like the magnitude was too much for like whatever the event or the thing that i was worrying about Mm -hmm. it's just general anxiety so that you know, it was a lot of different feedback from different types of people. And mm. so 
It's like a physical, you know, when we, we go to the doctor, when you have like a physical ailment that kind of nags at you. So why not see a therapist if this is like, yeah. uh, like a mental health related like ailment where maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. maybe there's nothing there, but maybe there is. And I won't know until I see a professional about it. Yeah. And we don't always realize we don't have a reference point a lot of the time because a lot of what we experience, yeah, yep. like yeah. how many, how you feel. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like, Brian, you may not have known like that it was a disproportionate sort of emotional response you were having without right. some of that outside observation, people who are caring about you and kind of referencing that for you. That's just, that's just my reaction. Like, and that's, yeah. that's your baseline. And so um does that make sense yeah yeah that was my relationship to body dysmorphia i just thought everyone thought that Mm. felt like shit about their bodies and thought that they looked disgusting all the time and and then i realized that that's not normal some people take a (laughs) selfie and they're like i look good wow look at this amazing every picture i take of me is so hot (laughs) i like the way i look no qualms Mm. here and then i discovered that that's not how everyone feels (laughs) and then i was like oh it was huge for me yeah. Wait, well, okay, I, so I don't should we move too, on to the next topic? Well, before we move on, I just want to say too, like sometimes folks oh, like yeah. come to therapy and they're almost like apologetic for being in therapy. Mm. Like they don't deserve it or their problems aren't, aren't, you know, serious enough or other people have it so much worse. And so it's really hard for them to like give themselves permission to like be just to be in that space. And, and so like, that's yeah. something that, you know, we'll talk about sometimes like where that's coming from and like to really validate, like, you know, I get what you're saying that, yes, like maybe you have some advantages or you have some privilege, but you're also like suffering in these ways or you're experiencing these issues or these negative impacts. And that's valid. Like, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you're not living anybody else's life. Like you're living your life and these are the things that you're not satisfied. So like, let's take this time to really explore that. That is so true. Yeah. With Asian. It's like, feels Mm -hmm. like you're selfish or something. Yeah. People think it's selfish. Yeah. With a lot of Asian American clients in particular. Yeah. Because the Asian reference Amer- yeah. point is often their parents. Pert- well, we hear that from our guests, our Asian American mm. guests. All of them are Asian, obviously. And they'll be like, oh, I, I feel bad, but then I don't have it as bad as everyone else. So mm-hmm. I feel bad for feeling bad, like things like that. Yes. So, right. Yeah. yeah. I think we hear that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, we want to jump into our next uh, topic. And Huge topic. Listeners. As you might have guessed, we've got a lot of submissions related to Asian parents. Mm. Now, surprise, uh, surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> now, the, the first submission we want to highlight, uh, it centers around boundaries. Mm. And uh, this um, person wrote, how do you set boundaries with your typical Asian parents who are set in their ways with, with no intention of changing? I set boundaries with my dad two months ago because he kept bailing on my son and it was very triggering for me. No response from him, and we haven't talked since. I did it in a way that I thought was respectful but assertive, but I'm wondering if a different approach would have worked better. It's ridiculous how anytime I'd voice my opinion growing up, he'd shut me down, so I'm beyond over the relationship, especially now that I have a kid. Mm. But I guess I'm still curious. Have you done that with your parents before, Brian? I've said it, I've done it with my mom before. Same boundaries? Yeah. <laughs> Brian's like... Uh, okay, no. this is... Uh, let me put on my armchair... <laughs> Okay, so this is my two cents. No, I don't. I'm bad at setting boundaries with my own parents. The way this is where I'm at now, and this is what I, this is how I'm going to answer this. It sometimes it just do be like that. (laughs) 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 
<laughs> now, so no, 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 let me clarify. Let me clarify. <laughs> Sometimes it be like that, and I, I think it's you know, especially with our parents, they're older than us. It's incredibly hard to change people. I've accepted that my parents have lived their life up until this point. They've experienced their hardships. They've endured their traumas. They're set in stone. And as much as I tell them and show them articles and, you know, armchair psychology them, they're they are stubborn. They're set in their ways. I can't expect them to change. Now, what yeah. I can change is how, like, creating mechanisms for myself how to... How much weed you smoke. Like, <laughs> <laughs> is to protect myself. Right, So right, what right, I right. do is... Yeah. Just accept, you know what? It do be like that sometimes. I try to understand why my parents are immutable to change, why they react in this way. Yeah. And uh, I constantly remind myself that, and that's how I keep it in check. Of course, I get super <clears throat> frustrated. My parents are not good with boundaries, mm -hmm. but I just have to realize th that, I don't know, that's hard. I feel like that's just that's just how my parents are. I'm not going to change them. And I can remind myself, yeah, I just have to remind myself what they've been through, but then how to like mitigate the amount of quote unquote damage or like yeah. how challenging it is for me. I think I want to ask you more about this because the next, the next <laughs> okay, question okay. deals with that too. Sure. And I'm going to ask you more in depth about how, you know, I made the weed joke, but you know, like how, yeah. mm -hmm. how, what that means for you actually. Right. Cause that is a, that's a big thing issue for me the boundaries thing specifically though i tried i did i think i talked about this maybe i don't know when but i i set a boundary with my mom about because my body dysmorphia i was like just don't mm. talk about my body yeah and then she was like she was like okay and she was really good and she kept the boundary yeah and then but instead she actually she she kept saying um instead of calling me fat because she always calls me fat she would every time i would facetime her she would say you look so skinny today yeah, over Someone's looking day. skinny. Yeah. And I was like, all right, that's such BS. And then right. one day I snapped and I was like, don't, just don't talk about my body. And then she got really angry at me. She was like, well, I thought you wanted me to call you skinny and I can't ever say anything right, blah, blah, mm. blah. But then she stopped talking about my body <laughs> for a few months. She's back on it now. Right, but. right. So I, uh, so I don't have any advice. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, uh, to go back to the first question, this is where I found having a therapist was helpful for me. It's yeah. about like, putting up these resources for myself to minimize like damage like to use a video game reference like minimize the hit points i'm incurring it's like anytime i hang out with my parents there's stressors there's things that trigger me or it gets upset but now you know i have certain friends i can reach out to and like vent to i have a therapist i can release these like things um, that are boiling over in me because i know that my parents like I, th those aren't the people i can yeah, like release no those emotions to yeah mm -hmm. but i it's it's an easier pill for me to swallow now if i just remind myself well they have their own baggage that they're dealing with of course they're imperfect like they've lived a dif difficult life and i try to focus on the positives so uh, like that they've provided for me mm -hmm. and that's it okay what do you, yeah what are <laughs> so what are What's your op opinion about boundaries? How do you set healthy boundaries? Um, I had a kind of a general reflection on this first, yeah. maybe. Having spent some time reflecting on this, I actually think 
this might be sort of one of the underrated most important skills for Asian American children to mm. develop. And why I say that is because, and we, I think we talked about this on the last pod a little bit, this idea that like, you know, kind of more individualistic, kind of Germanic kind of focus yeah. on like, yeah, just individualism and this sort of therapist telling you like, well, just kind of cut these people off or like mm-hmm. remove yourself from the situation and kind of act as the individual and in the mm-hmm. individual's best interests, right? Like there's kind of this tendency. Mm-hmm. Well, mo- a, a lot of Asian children, they don't want to leave their parents mm-hmm. or like they don't want to leave their families. Mm-mm. And that makes being able to sort of explore and establish boundaries even more important. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. Because that's the only, if, if, you know, if you're not going to cut them off and be a complete individual and that, and embrace that, then the other, only other alternative is setting really healthy boundaries and make life livable with them <laughs> right mm-hmm. right right yeah and I so, think I, I just read something once where it said something like people don't realize that when you're setting a boundary with them you're trying to keep them in your life right but that's right. a great uh that's a nice little uh yeah like a that that's relevant to that exactly yeah. but, but, and but what do you do in the instance of your parents are incredibly stubborn and are not intent on changing <laughs> Do you want to go? You want me to say a little more? Go ahead. Sure. Um, I think one thing when thinking about, uh, you know, putting myself in the position of the therapist here, that having an under, it's a really important to have an understanding of what you're trying to accomplish. Are you trying to accomplish one thing in particular? Um, is there one area of your life in particular? Is there something personal? Like you talked about, Young Me, where like, there are certain triggers. And so it comes from that place, Mm. you know, are there a handful of different things that um, you're trying to accomplish? And each of those may kind of look a little different in terms of like what the boundary looks like. And Mm. so really either through your own processes or in therapy or kind of with someone um, Mm. maybe who has some experience with this kind of just really getting a good sense of that for yourself. Mm. Um, Sometimes people know it's not working or know that it's they're suffering quite a bit, but they haven't quite figured out kind of what it is um, that they're mm. trying to change or shift. Or uh, mm. And so that part's really important. Yeah, I think it took me a long time for me to even realize that that's what I wanted. I was like, mm, mm. every time I interact with my parents, it hurts me. And then I didn't, I didn't even have the language. Like, I didn't even understand that word bound. What I didn't even know what that meant mm-hmm. you know, until I went to therapy. Right, right. And for someone like me, where my only purpose is to prove to my parents that I am right and you're <laughs> wrong, I'm still suffering. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> what are your thoughts, Melissa? Well, yeah, I think that... Like you're saying, you know, boundaries are so important in order to maintain a relationship, like maintain a relationship where you feel, I don't know, feel some sense of connection, but also maybe there are parts of your yourself that you want to protect from the other person or just kind of, you know, 
maybe, yeah, like protect. Um, and, and it makes me think like there's so many different kinds of boundaries. Like some of it may be like external, like interpersonal, like like you were talking about young me, like having a conversation, like letting somebody know like, okay, this this is like off limits. Like this makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to have this conversation. Like this is something that I'm not going to discuss. And, you know, some of it can be internal, like this sense of like, well, let me temper my expectations and what I'm going to share with this person, mm. like knowing what, knowing like yeah. what I may not be able, you know, to get from them. Like maybe I'm, I right. just mm. kind of have to accept like my parents are not going to give me with, give me like the support or understanding or, um, you know, validation. And so like, how do I engage with them in a way that still feels like, positive or feels yeah. like right. tolerable. Um, and so that may mean like, yeah, just, you know, kind of monitor, monitoring yourself and, and, and being like, just knowing what you can, you know, how, how much you can open up to those people. Yeah. You know, I just want to mention that what Melissa just said is, is really heartbreaking. I think for me personally, like it's very painful and it kind of reminds me of like the next thing that um the next thing that we were going to read a listener question yeah it's uh it was how to reconcile appreciation and respect for your parents filial piety while also acknowledging the lifelong trauma they caused and being able to move on from that without cutting them off and so it's like what melissa was saying it's like you have to sort of like okay if you're not going to cut your parents off what you have to do is mute some of that anger right I mean maybe I'm like saying this wrong but like mute some of those emotions so you can just accept that they're not going to apologize and just like you want them in your life so just get over it and live continually with them right. for me personally yeah that has made me it's been heartbreaking because I, I had like a nightmare I think after like a therapy session once where I saw my mom like in the ocean on a boat and like I could see her but I couldn't get her like she was she was about to float away. And like mm -hmm. I, it felt I think that was like a my brain telling me why I was sad. It's like you're right there. Like, you know what I want from you, I feel like is right there, but it's never going to happen. I'm never going to get it. Mm -hmm. And it yeah, just, yeah. it's like, I don't know. That's like so heartbreaking for me. It is. Oh, it's sad. Sure. That's why I like want to ask you when you mentioned that before. Well, Ryan. Like, well, how do you deal with that sadness, I think, or anger? Well, that's that's entirely encapsulates entirely what I meant from my first response to this is what i mean by like you know to oversimple like it do be like that like it's just that's just what it is and it do be like i'm in a <laughs> I, I, yes i've i've cried i've shed a lot of tears like just wishing my parents would change or why couldn't i get this thing from them but i'm in a place now where uh to, like, to your point melissa like i've my my process has been more internal where mm -hmm. I can say like, yes, it, it do be like that, but I have friends and other resources that I can get that thing that mm. I want from them mm. from these other resources. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm at peace with that. I can reconcile with that. It's okay. Like I just, I've, I can just, it, it hurts, but I yeah. can accept that. Maybe my, maybe my parents can't provide the thing that I want from them because they can't even see that within themselves. Like mm -hmm. they didn't have access to yeah. these sorts of mental health resources that are available to us today that, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. so I don't, I don't have any resentment up towards them. This is a bit anecdotal from my professional experience, but I, I think something I, I like to, to do, um, 
when clients come in and they're very clear, like viewers or listeners or viewers can't see how this was written, but if you, the question is all in caps at the end, and then it says without cutting them off, which kind of illustrates my point from earlier about why I think this is one of the most underrated skills for Asian American children to develop is boundaries. This, this is the subtext of that without cutting them off. It means people always tell me to just cut them off or right. you guys don't tell me to just cut them off. That's why I'm putting this in caps, right? I'm looking <laughs> yeah. for a different alternative. And But one of the things I actually I like to do with clients who are coming in uh, with that mentality is I, I do like to try to get them to kind of go back on that a little bit and um, not to say that they would never cut them off, essentially, mm. but to mm. understand instead what their limits are. So when we operate from this place of this is never an option, I will never cut mm. them off, this can never happen, I could never do it, etc., and so on, there's a restricting sort of nature mm. to that. I think it's a useful exercise, even if there's some difficulty in sitting with the idea initially that we all have limits. And what mm. what are yours? They may be greatly different from one of your friends or your, your, your white buddy and you guys talk about this stuff, but they're but they right. are there. So an mm. example maybe, you know, someone may may really try to sit with that and they may say, well, if my father ever laid hands on my my daughter right you know if the, yeah. if i saw some of this some of the things we experienced uh my siblings and i if i saw that or became aware of that then then yes you know like yeah and, right. and, and um again it, they may seem unrelated but I don't know, just from a just from clinical experience, I feel like moving from there is a line and it is an option and mm -hmm. I can articulate what that is, I think creates a, a sort of a little more of a freedom. Um, yeah. you're, you're operating less from a place of this is the only option and this can never happen and the, the restriction of that to I know where my line is and I can work within that. Whoa! That's so um, great. Damn. Damn. I know. Meanwhile, <laughs> I'm just over <laughs> spouting off. It do be like that. It is what it is. That was that was very different advice than it do, do be, be like, like that. that. That's for sure. And me talking about a dream that I had. That was very. That's such. That's such good advice. And I, I want to say. I just want to say. I really liked how you said, <laughs> I feel like that was really important when you said like there, you do have a limit. You might not yeah. know where it is, but yeah. you do have a limit and maybe just thinking it, about that what just that is. Like broke my brain because <laughs> it is more liberating once you yeah. test that limit. And now you yeah. know, you have an actual stronger sense of what is that boundary that you're playing with. And that'll, I, I can just feel like once I know what that is, it just yeah. illuminates how I'm going to react to so many other things going forward. Yeah. It, it just frees you of some of that. There's a, a it's subtle. There's a subtle liberation yeah. to that as you then get into really starting to explore um, kind of these, these uh, boundaries and such. And mm. I, I do think as well that uh, 
sort of from a Western frame, and this may come in with other questions, but I do think from a Western frame, the idea of sort of sticking with an abuser or sticking with someone who has wounded or harmed you in this way, either historically or presently is, um, um, there's a real, there's a, like a negative, uh, that's the sort of, it's viewed negatively. Yes. Right? Mm. Yes. And, and there's a negative connotation to that. Sometimes there's a judgment to that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think we can all get in that Western frame of mind and understand where that comes from. I think all four of us mm. do. Yes. And yet at the same time, what, what I think it's important to acknowledge sometimes for, for Asian um, clients who are trying to navigate this is um, it takes a lot of commitment and resilience to stay in a relationship that hurts you. I was just going to say, I think in Asian cultures, that's respected, you know, the suffering, mm. like you're in this like painful suffering situation and that's like revered and that's like a trait that people really lo- look up to and respect. I don't know if that obviously, you know, yeah. so my concern versus here, like what you were saying in the West, it's like thought of negatively. Mm-hmm. My concern here is yeah. people are going to have a reaction to me saying that. Like there's some concern in that because of this Western lens. And I'm not rejecting the Western lens. I'm just saying that mm-hmm. when you include this cultural lens and the mm-hmm. values and the, the, the piety and like um, just, again, in all caps, without cutting them off, there's like a, a value there in retaining that yeah. family, right? I don't think we often talk about kind of the strength and resilience that it takes to sustain um, a relationship like that, right? I don't know it's if you're reacting to that issue. as well. We but. Can't, yeah, it's not just like bad yeah. or good. Yeah, mm-hmm. and... I think this is a nice segue for our next submission because you just brought up um, this dichotomy between Western and Eastern uh, hmm. philosophies. And this submission was, you know, it's also related to Asian parental issues, but this is in terms of uh, expectations. And mm-hmm. this person wrote, how the hell do you honor your Asian traditions? I respect your elders and family before the individual mm. total and utter selflessness for your loved ones and the sacrifices your Asian parents made for you. Um, even though perpetuating the traditions in whole goes against your mixed Eastern Western values. It's such a mind fuck to want to live the life of an American, but still live up to your family's expectations. One thing my dad has always said to my brother and me, we're both first gen Viet Americans is that in terms of assimilation and professional success, he has his brother's beat. However, in terms of having children who uphold our traditions, he's in last place. His nieces and nephews all live in the same home as their parents, and they live life fully as a unit. Wanting to uphold our traditions to this, wanting to uphold our traditions to this extreme, never interested me until I lost my mom and understood where those values come from. Mm. What about? I don't know, how do you navigate that, young me? Well, I mean, I just I just like Peter's, you know, what you just discussed. I I cuz I know that we discussed this last time like of I always try to keep myself in check and make sure that how I'm viewing my quote unquote family issues isn't through like a white lens like mm. mom doesn't hug me enough for whatever, right? Like, like right, why right. don't you apologize to me? I I want to call my parents by their first name or whatever. Um and so <laughs> I I think 
what Peter touched on earlier was like, you know, there is this idea in the West that like you can't stay in an abusive relationship. You got to cut everyone off and respect yourself. And then in the Mm -hmm. East, there's like this like, no, the suffering is the beauty and my family Mm -hmm. is important and other people above myself and they respect that. And like, to be honest with you, like both those ideologies have weight to them. And there's like there's actually maybe it's like bad to be so extreme with and be like oh we we have to be like i'm gonna cut you off because you keep calling me fat mom or like or you know i'm gonna suffer in silence while my parents beat me like we don't Mm -hmm. have to we don't have to go that extreme with them maybe there is like some sort of balance where we can learn from these two cultures and um but i think this question is like maybe the struggle that she's more this person's more americanized than her parents are like so there's that that clash, you know, mm-hmm. it's like they're on these two ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I don't I don't know if this person wants to sway in one direction more than the other. I think it is just an inherent challenge. I've personally found it really difficult to navigate um, like being yeah. a quote unquote good, dutiful son at home with my parents. But yeah. then also just be myself, which is kind of like loud and reverent and like just wrong all the time you know yeah, yeah. and it is wrong um all the time <laughs> wrong and loud Brian. So often, so and, often. <laughs> but that's why people like me because i'm wrong but something that has helped me and sort of shifted especially in recent years is i found that i was always criticizing these east asian value systems that were like imbued upon me by my parents through a white lens and really criticizing it mm. and getting upset at my parents all the time like why don't you say you're proud of me well mm. you like my other this is why i'm the way i am my other friends who have white parents like t- you know do this and you don't ever do this for me uh-huh. i was like really yep. critical and like leveraging the white germanic like th- the ideas of like how to lead a life and be yeah. an individual against mm. the and i've found that now I sort of do more like the pendulum has the pendulum has short sort of shifted mm-hmm. in the other direction for yeah. me. Yeah. And the, I I guess in a, as a whole I've sort of viewed it as now I just sort of see it as a an advantage in a way where yeah. I am afforded this other uh this privilege and uh, I have this privilege of learning this other value system and it's not more right or more incorrect than the other yeah it just gives me like a bigger tool set to work with i'm about to just say something really problematic really quick and this is a joke <laughs> but sometimes i meet white people and i'm like i wish your parents did beat you you know what <laughs> just I, I, oh i think i think uh, yeah for sure you can tell <laughs> you, you can Maybe tell you, you, did, like, you, you deserve you a strip out to the head you did not get hit <laughs> you can tell the people who weren't chased out of their house with a wooden spoon you know no. <laughs> like, you can that's tell a different you. that's a yep. different life right do you want to think about do you want to uh, lead we can well, alternate yeah yeah so i mean this is a i think a really common challenge for asian americans with this kind of like bicultural identity and trying to figure out like how you are both asian and american and and i think that like that both and of it is really important it's not either or either you're like just asian or you're just american like you're both and so there may be like parts of your different cultures that you you know hold on to and that you appreciate and 
and it doesn't have to be just one or the other. Um, and so right. like trying to figure that out and like, I don't know, like that can be uncomfortable sometimes of like figuring out like what parts, uh, you know, fit for you, like what your values are, what your expectations are. And maybe mm-hmm. there can be some, I don't know, like maybe that causes some conflict in your family or maybe there's some like discord or some, um, you know, expectations that you're not meeting. And so like trying to, you know, figure out how do you, you know, find some kind of resolution with that and accept that. Um, but, and hopefully get to a place where you feel like you can, I don't know, just kind of appreciate both parts of you and like, or like mm-hmm. all parts of you. Um, and, and I think too, like we're always, you know, we're always evolving and changing as individuals. So you might have an experience like this person was talking about, you know, losing their mom and maybe that caused a shift in them. And, mm-hmm. and I think at any point in, in our lives, you can kind of reevaluate where you are and what's important to you and, and maybe, you know, bring in different aspects of your culture based on, you know, your, you know, what has changed in your perspective. And I think like everybody is entitled to that and that's okay. Yeah. I always hear like people getting older and then, and then being like, my parents were right. I should have become a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like Brian. I say that all the time. (laughs) Why did I, why, (laughs) why did I think that I wouldn't be good, a good idea to do what I, I don't know. Yeah. I actually, I hear people say a lot of that, uh, like when they get married and have kids or something, then they start to be like, oh, now I understand my Asian parents. They're like, wow, wooden spoon does get them in line real fast. Shut the F up. Real quick. I'm just kidding. I'm not condoning that at all. I, uh, what are your thoughts? A lot of these challenges are unique to being Asian American, but I think this is one area I would like to normalize a little bit mm. that we don't sign some contract at 18 to then ascribe to and adopt all the values of the family. Uh, from that day forward, like it is an organic process and Mm. you may not understand as you were talking about some of the reasons they did uh, what they did or or why they Mm -hmm. emphasized what they did until you reach a certain point in your life. Uh, And as you said, I really liked what Melissa said about you know, what, what did you say? You're like, you're entitled to change your position on these. Va- That's what I'd want to say to this person where it's clear mm. there's a shift. Like you said, you know, they've lost, uh, I don't know if it was recent, but they lost their mom and it's kind of changed how they've considered right. these, that part of their biculturalism and, and these particular values. And, you know, I just, I would want him or her to know that like you're entitled to that change and to revisit these things at any time. And um, I think sometimes it's useful and maybe I'd want to ask him or her, uh, or well, let me say the first thing. Sometimes it's, I think, useful to try to step out of what you already know about your parents' expression of these values. Mm -hmm. So the Mm -hmm. values they verbalize and then how they're expressed within their actions and choices. But do you know what it means to you to honor your Asian mm. traditions, mm. you know, we're so often wow. referencing what's right yeah. or wrong and whatnot off mm. of what we know about what they state and how they 
make choices and express those mm. values. But do you know that for yourself? Mm. Like what, what, you know, what does it mean to you to honor those? Mm-hmm. Which areas feel most yeah. emphasized to you? Which, which areas feel incongruent? What's it look like? Um, do you understand subtly the ways you live out kind of these values? Like, I think we need to understand those things because inevitably when we're dealing with a bicultural Asian American or even biracial, right? Mm-hmm. Bicultural right. child mm-hmm. and coming from a family who came over here at a certain point, immigrated and they're a mon- like it's, it's a mono, they're more monocultural versus yeah. bicultural that there will be impasses, right? Inevitably mm-hmm. there will be impasses and if you've cultivated some sense of personal security that you, you have a sense of security that, you know, sort of you, that you privately honor um, those values and the influence of those values within your life, even if Mm -hmm. they won't see that, I think Mm. there's, I don't know, a little more, I think you can achieve um, I might be high-minded here, but you, you can achieve, achieve a little more of a sense of peace around yeah. those points of tension when they arise that's yeah. a that's a great that's so great, great practice so yeah because i'm realizing that i model a lot of my like definition of what it means to be a good quote-unquote asian, asian? son yeah. is all through my parents framework mm. and right i don't exactly. think i've taken the time to really what aspect of your culture do you feel like is important and that you should keep keep hanging on hanging on to uh, becoming a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are one through five. Yeah. One through five. I like one through five. That's it. I like both of your answers. I like Melissa's. Yeah. I, what P, you know, Peter reiterated, just feeling entitled mm-hmm. to you know going through throughout your life and feeling you know close to different parts of your either your Americanness or Asianness. And I also like that. So yeah. Personally, think of what parts of your culture. Yeah, you want to hold on and to. even though I feel like I have a good sense of what I value as an individual, hearing both you and like Peter and Melissa, hearing you like reiterate it and reframe it, now I'm starting to question that. I think a lot mm. of it is still Through based on my parents. I feel yeah, like that was you, Brian, too. <laughs> Just because I feel like it's very important, but not in a bad way. <laughs> right, right, right. I think it's very important for Brian to like it's be like, a good son as an individual. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Means to to be a good Asian is to be a good son and listen to my parents. Mm. That's not bad. (laughs) Surprise, Brian! This is an intervention. We're all (laughs) just actually here because Uh. (laughs) I actually hired (laughs) 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 Melissa. Do you want to skip to this question first? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, touching on the multiracial. Yeah, I think this is a great segue to our next question and. Uh, this, you know, this is a theme that we saw a lot from our submissions, and mm. it is uh, not feeling Asian enough. Mm. And this person wrote, uh, I'm biracial. My mother is Chinese. I feel extremely disconnected from my Chinese heritage because mm. my mom is extremely whitewashed. We're talking fundamental Baptists living in, in mm. the South of her own free will with no Asian <laughs> friends. <laughs> she put that in parentheses. Yeah. And she purposely didn't pass on language or cultural customs. 
In addition, I pass as white, so I feel like a fraud trying to be more involved in Asian spaces, despite also feeling like an outsider slash uncomfortable in all white spaces. Mm. In parentheses, a number of times white people have said racist things to me thinking I was one of them. <laughs> Any advice for embracing more of my Asian heritage with so little knowledge and dealing with racial imposter syndrome? I have to say, we did get a lot of messages from biracial people, mm-hmm. the, a few biracial people, and then just a few like Asian Americans or Asians that grew, grew up outside of Asia with this topic, so I, I, I made right. sure to include it. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are struggling with this identity thing. Um, I think I remember we also got a message from somebody that got received a scholarship for being a BIPOC and and they were biracial, they're yeah. half white, and they were struggling with feeling like they deserve that and like mm. taking it away from somebody. And um, I, you know, even though I'm biracial, I, I think I really feel like a lot of people that are not even biracial, just Asians living outside of Asia, feel this way. This like, what well, I don't speak the language, mm-hmm. I don't know the cultures. If I go back there whatever a lot of their parents like this person's parent purposely withheld their culture from them um i don't have any advice but i want to say something very interesting um about something that i heard something i think i read it somewhere where a lot of asian parents purposely didn't teach their language to their immigrants to their children Mm -hmm. because that was a like a subconscious effort to protect them from emotional trauma Mm. like so these like Korean whatever people probably had like traumatic lives in Korea and then when they came to America they wanted to shield their child from whatever Mm. trauma they left behind Mm. and part of that was withholding their language which I when I read that I thought that was really interesting and I think I was kind of doing that with Mino because Mino doesn't speak Korean Mm -hmm. like maybe there's a part of me that I'm like trying to protect him from actually understanding what Koreans are saying because Mm. that was so traumatizing for me as a child so I don't have any advice but I think that was interesting Concept. How about you, well, Brian? What do you think about feeling? Can, can I piggyback off that? Or I, I'll hold the thought, and we can. I want to piggyback off that, but we we've got to hear oh, what no, we got to hear please, what please. Brian's got to say. Piggyback please. off that right now. Uh, oh, right please. now. Help um, us. Uh, my my dissertation was on uh, biracial uh, psychological well being, and as part wow. of that kind of literature review, um, I learned uh, about. Um, like research on bilingualism as well. And so to, mm. to add to what you're saying about this distancing from the culture and the experience, because language is such a deeply rooted part of like how we feel things, right? And so mm-hmm. how through trauma, parents may not have brought the language with them, if you will, to their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the research on bilingualism didn't become more firmly established until the like 80s early 90s Mm. and so there was just a lot of assumptions about what would happen and if you look at biracialism or multiracialism in general if you look at the history of that it's there's a negative connotation in our country anyway so it's the idea that if you're mixed if you're split it, all it does is causes problems, right? Mm. And so there is a sense of that within bilingualism as well. The kids are going to get confused. They're all going to be developmentally delayed. They're not. Mm-hmm. So um, everyone was sort of operating, or a lot of people were operating from that assumption as mm-hmm. well. And so that also, so the culture, if you will, um, kind of pushed towards only teaching one language as well. 
because I, I kind of remember that. Like, I feel like reading stuff like back in the old days, like they said, if your kids were bilingual, they'd be stupid. <laughs> Look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> Show them. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, Brian, what do you feel like? How do you do? What's your relationship with this? Like not feeling Asian enough as a, like an Asian person that grew up outside of Asia. Even for perhaps the wrong reasons, I've always felt very Asian because my parents like preserved old school, like strict Korean, val- like a very strict Korean value system in my home, mm-hmm. even though I grew up in a place that had zero Asians. Yeah. And that outsider, like that feeling of being an outsider almost reaffirmed my Asianness mm-hmm. in like a weird kooky way because mm-hmm. I was always perceived as different or othered and you know this is hard because it sounds like this person in particular doesn't have the immediate resources to like meet other asian people or and one thing like i one thing i've learned just by doing this podcast is the the asian american diaspora is just so far reaching that it isn't it looks like it has a, like so many different shapes and textures to it. Mm-hmm. And all of the experiences and all of the stories and it's all valid. And yeah. mm-hmm. I'm real, I, you know, live, I'm very lucky to live in a place like New York where I can engage and meet with other Asian Americans where I'm surprised, even if it's for people who like grew up in a completely disparate place from me, mm-hmm. there's like a lot of, commonalities through all of our experiences and but yeah i I don't like in terms of like this is just like a personal anecdotal thing you know like for me it's just the way i've i've sort of uh embraced my asianness is just by consuming lots of different types of content and like even if it's online and just talking to other asian people and Mm. realizing that it doesn't look a certain specific way like even in the last episode we had ed who is a korean adoptee Mm -hmm. that is a that is a swath of the asian american population that i just was not privy to whatsoever yeah Yeah. but again i feel very lucky to have heard those stories i've learned from them and realized like not realized like i i just know that that is also part of this it's part of the experience it's there is it's not a monolith it doesn't look a certain way Mm-hmm. yeah but what what do you think about i mean maybe this is like too long of a thing but like what do you think about because i know a lot of people struggle with not feeling asian enough mm-hmm. yeah but you're just you're just like i've never felt not asian enough i have no idea no there are i th- just eat my chapaghetti in the morning <laughs> uh, <laughs> well that, that's what i mean though yeah, it's yeah. like it, yeah, I've learned that there are moments now where i feel like i don't like i don't feel asian enough mm. like I'm a fraud maybe because mm. I felt like I was super Asian but then mm. I meet other Asians who speak the language better than me or like uphold certain traditions more than me but again like just I, I'm like yeah, honestly, I feel like I, I am yeah. sort of indirectly answering question in that no my existence is valid I am Asian enough yeah it doesn't look a certain way I need to squash yeah. that thought in my head nice that's because good advice but it's but again it's a privilege that i have like yeah. I, this podcast is a tremendous privilege to meet mm. so many different types of asian american voices yeah. i live in a place like new york where people have so many different types of upbringings Th- so yeah. for someone 
who I'm assuming is in, who could perhaps be yeah, in yeah. a more isolated position. I don't know if I am qualified to give prescriptive right. advice yeah. in this situation. I, I mean, either, but I will say one thing if anyone ever fucks with you and says you're not aged enough, I will beat. I will bring the beat down. I will I will I will be on your side and I'll kick their fucking asses. I hate especially those Asian fucking gatekeepers that mm-hmm. harass biracial people and fucking adoptees like some fucking coo- just cuz you fucking were born in wherever for two and then you moved here when you were two years old so fuck you like right whoever is fucking gatekeeping i will fucking lay the beat down on you that's my that's my <laughs> that's advice, your advice. Yeah, getting... how dare you anyway mm-hmm. sorry uh, that was me being physical violence and brian does we don't know what we're talking about what, what's your what would you say about this what would you say about this feeling like not feeling asian enough first off i'm right in there with that like Ride or die, people better not fuck with you with that. I, the, the gatekeeping is <laughs> yeah. such a major hurdle to get through in your own personal journey. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I'm, this is a very activating sort of question. And, uh, you know, from this person, uh, I, I'm, you know, I think Young Me and I are both half Korean. And so, um, you know, the fact that y'all were able to include a, a question as well from a, a, a biracial Asian uh, person uh, is pretty meaningful. And um, I actually think a, a lot of what Brian was saying about the validity of Brian's like, oh, the validity of your experience. Against all odds, a story like, of resiliency. Brian said something. I'm really, correct. I'm really... <laughs> He's not wrong all the time. I'm really passionate about trying to help biracial Asians experience themselves in, uh, it sounds so woo maybe, but sort of in a more beautiful way. Mm -hmm. Um, In a more, it's almost romanticized, but um, this is on our our website near the bottom, um, but it's also something I talk a lot about, which is just that, you have your own place in mm-hmm. this story. It's like there's mm-hmm. this, there's these, there's millions of drops in this river and this flow through time of like the Asian diaspora. Mm-hmm. And there's all these individual drops that make this river that flows forward in it. And, and you, you are a part of that. Like you are, you are not outside of that. And you, um, deserve to explore and carve out you what you bring to this identity. Mm. Um, you know, similarly to how we may work with women who identify with what would be considered maybe less in less heteronormative ways or less gendered ways and they may struggle with their idea of womanness, right? It's this idea that you mm. you are a representation of womanness within what you bring and with within mm-hmm. how you identify and your mm-hmm. choice. And, and that's true in this context as well, that like you, whether or not other people, gatekeepers or whoever we're talking about, whether or not they, whether or not they always see it, you represent the diaspora as much as mm-hmm. anyone else in that mm-hmm. river. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, I, I like to encourage people. I think resources is a, a good step here. Like mm-hmm. if there is that motivation to personally invest and have support, then it can be an exciting journey. There can be, it can activate insecurity, of course, mm-hmm. um, because we're dealing with that sense of belonging and that sense of whether or not uh, we're an imposter. But it can be an exciting journey to, um, you know, provide resources that are more kind of Asian-centric or focused within particular parts of that experience. It can also be really helpful, I think, to provide resources around being biracial mm-hmm. and the unique yeah. challenges that come with that. One of the issues that biracial people have, even outside of a context where mama lives in the South, has no Asian friends and yeah. <laughs> watches the Dukes of Hazard every day or something, <laughs> Um, <laughs> the Dukes of Hazard kind of threw me, threw me off. What was I, what was I saying? What was I saying right there? Um, Dukes of Hazard's really. Was anyone listening to me? <laughs> was anyone listening to me? But his mom lives in the south and doesn't have any Asian friends. Before the, before that. <laughs> um, well, the re, the resources. Uh, yeah, resources. The, sorry, I was talking about the biracial resources, and then and then I lost my thread. Um, Even if you're. Even if your mom is Asian-y, Asian-y? I, I'm, I'm trying to just guess uh, what you were about to say. No, I, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I lost it. Um, oh, it's okay. But, uh... I just want to touch on the first thing you said, though. I think that yeah. that was a very, it was such an eloquent way that you put that. The truth of the matter is you are fucking Asian. Like, what? Mm-hmm. What? You are. You are a drop in the river of Asians, or whatever Peter said. He said it way better. <laughs> like, there's no way some some horrible man online is going to make you as a biracial person all of a sudden overnight just a white person. You are not a white person. I'm sorry. Um, I remember what I was going to say now. I did. <laughs> well, okay, good. See, I knew it. it. So as a particularly f- for biracial individuals or biracial Asians is you come most likely from parents who identify as monoracial. And so Mm. one of the challenges we face as biracial children is that in most cases, at least to date, this may slowly be changing. Our parents are not, they haven't been equipped to help us navigate Mm -hmm. this blended identity. They don't know what it's like to be biracial. Such a good point. Yeah. They don't know what it's like to be biracial. Yeah. I just want to point out when young me kept grilling me for a better response. That was the challenge. I don't know what it's like to be biracial. Young me. <laughs> good point. Oh, the, no, I'm saying because a lot of Asian Americans that are not biracial feel not Asian. Enough. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, you know, because I've, I've saw that too in our messages. Just straight mm-hmm. up pure Asians. So one pure. of the paradigms... Pure is a weird way to say that. <laughs> one of the internalized... Not us dirty Asians. <laughs> oh, um, one of the internalizations that we have to kind of break out of, right, is that um, this framework of authenticity, mm. right? And yeah. what is authentic and what isn't. Having some understanding through therapy or whatever, what you're, what you've internalized about what's uh, authentic and what isn't is an important step. Um, and again, there's sort of a theme of liberation here, right? If you can kind mm-hmm. of break the chains, like these are oppressive frames of mind, right? 
if you can right. kind of understand yeah. that and kind of break those, then there's a more liberated place in which you can embrace your part of that river, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. Damn. And so maybe, go out there. Yeah. Drop that Dukes of Hazard reference, even though it's 30 years after <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, so Be your liberated self. I barely know what that is. I, ba- I, I think I heard it once. I don't know. Oh, you're showing your age. So good. Um, yeah, I guess like, yeah, it's like just break down those barriers, man. We're all just like, we're living on these cages in our brain, man. Oh, Melissa, did you want to add anything to that? To the sorry, I started getting wacky. Oh, you're fine. Did you want to add anything to the last um, question? Um, I mean, I'll say, I, 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 yeah, like to echo like what other folks have said, you know, you can def- you get to define what your identity is and you can like nobody else can tell you like whether or not you're Asian enough or like what kind of Asian you should be like you can figure that yes. out for yourself. And yeah. and well, and I, I and I can also relate to, you know, even though I'm um you know, I'm monoracial Asian, but I'm, you know, I'm half Filipino and I'm half Chinese. Oh, you're biracial. Yeah, yeah. Good and um, and there have definitely been times where I have felt not Asian enough, not Filipino enough, not Chinese enough, and yeah. yep. like not American enough. And just, and, you know, that's something that I struggled with for a lot of my life, especially growing up. I grew up in Ohio where I was like one of, or like just a handful of Asian kids. And, right. um, and so trying to figure out, like, well, what does it mean to me to be from these different cultures and to have this kind of Filipino, Chinese, American identity? And and just, like, I, that's something that I can define for myself. Like, nobody, you know, can tell me, like, yeah. I'm not Asian enough. Well, I mean, they can, but fuck them. I mean, okay. Yeah. yeah. There's, no, there's no such thing as a human being that's not enough. But I feel like that's, like, the, the thing that people make you feel a lot. One, were, were you going to say something, Peter? Yeah, one more thing to add for this listener. Um, this is from my own personal experience. I can't speak to your own journey, young me, but having or stumbling upon or ha- being fortunate enough to have a real, even one relationship, but relationships with Asian Americans who may... They may accept you as Asian more than you even accept yourself as Asian. Yeah. Can be like really important. That was really important in my own journey is Mm. hanging out with some Koreans and all the activation, the insecurity or hanging out, you know, joining like the Asian American graduate students group. Mm. And like, they're just like, they're just open acceptance. Like, yeah, you're with us. They don't I even mean, question it. Yeah, you're Asian. And, and so like for this listener, you're like, yeah, have that like, and that's how I think the four of us feel in regards to this yeah. listener. Like we, I think we probably feel like she's more Asian. I don't know if it's, it's a man or a woman. I think Person's we, name. I don't think, we I think we feel like, we I think we're at, a, I think it's at a point right now where we feel like they're more Asian than they feel. And that's yeah. okay. Like having those relationships with people that accept you like that. Even if you're not there, man, I, I just mm-hmm. really think it can be um, yeah. a, a helpful thing. Yeah. So, uh, Peter, Melissa, wow. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. So sorry. It's the listeners, this, we want this to go forever, but uh, that was our this fault. is just an excuse yeah. to have you back in a future episode so we can <laughs> do this again. But um, 
first and foremost, thank you for lending yeah. your time and your expertise and uh, providing so many great insights to all of us tonight. Yeah, and I want to thank our listeners for submitting all these questions. I'm so sorry we couldn't get to all of them. We got so many. Yeah. You know, like we always do. I mean, we and can I do it again. Thank everyone that point. asked these yeah. questions for being so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we let you go, where can our listeners find you and your work? So we finally have a website, and which we're <laughs> really excited about. It's BuckeyePsychology.com. And we're also um, on and, and the website has all of our contact information, um, email addresses, phone numbers, and we're also on Psychology Today. Um, we're still updating the website, but we'll have some information about like, you know, our training and bios and the kinds of clients that we work with. Um, but folks are always welcome to reach out um, and, you know, just say hi or, you know, ask for resources um, or just about us. <laughs> yeah. And Brian vetted it. Brian took a look and Brian said, looks good. It is a great website. Green light. <laughs> give you the green, give you the Check green it out. light. So, but yeah, I would invite um, listeners uh, if, you know, some people are more comfortable asking something in private or kind of using that medium. And so, you know, if uh, people do have questions that, they didn't want to risk kind of maybe being on the show or something, then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like, um, we're, you know, people can always reach out and, and we're happy yes. to. And we're so grateful. Like you were saying, like that people were willing to be vulnerable and ask these questions mm-hmm. and really like put themselves out there. Like, I think just mm-hmm. anything that kind of normalizes, you know, you know, that Asians have mental health issues and that we, yeah. you know, we can seek help too. And, we, mm. you know, there, there are folks like, you know, Tona and me out here who can, you know, provide some support around that. Like, I think that just hopefully like decreases some of the stigma and makes people feel less alone. Well, it was so great to have you and we look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah. yeah thank you for, for sure. having us. Oh. Yeah. Well, wait, before we go, Brian, where can our listeners find you? <laughs> forgot. You guys can find me on socials at It's Brian Park. And what about you, Young Me? YM Mayor, TikTok, Young Me Mayor. Brian's TikTok is blowing up. Everyone get in, get in at the ground level. <laughs> it's Brian Park. Follow and our podcast on Feeling Asian Podcast, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, YouTube, yeah. Patreon. <laughs> and thank you very much. Yeah. Thank Bye. you, listeners. Bye. Bye. Bye.